0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back with another pod. Um, This one is on being a red-letter Christian. What does it mean to be a red-letter Christian? Can you be a red-letter Christian? And so for the people who don't know what that means, I guess over the past year, I've I've been talking to different people, and sometimes I'll hear this, people will say, well, I'm just a red-letter Christian. And basically what that means is that they just read the red letters in the Bible, only Jesus, has, only things about Jesus, only the Gospels, only the red letters. Um, and they don't read the, the rest of the New Testament. They don't read the Old Testament. They're just red letter Christians. And I was always, I always felt weird about that. I was like, how ah, can you be a red, a red letter? You're just going to just pick and choose what you want to read out of the Bible. And, and so I thought maybe it'd be good for us to do a podcast on being a red letter Christian. And so that's what we're talking about today. Nick, I don't know if you have any opening statements, anything you want to say. I I always, I just have created this in my head where I'm just like, I'm just going to give you like five minutes in the beginning of every podcast because you always have a bunch of opening things to say. Yeah. You don't have to. Yeah. This
1: one is such red meat because it's, it, it has a lot of emotional appeal. Like I think if you know, if you're listening, you're like, well, I'm a red letter Christian. Listen, I get the emotional appeal of this. Mm -hmm. Um, for a number of reasons. Um, there's some people who believe that's the most scholarly thing to do. Meaning that like the, sh- the most historically reliable stuff in the new Testament probably is these t- sayings of Jesus. Um, people who really want purity in their faith. I think it's attractive because they're like, you know, if we want to get back to away from all the corruption that's happened, like over the years and all these kinds of ways, how do you get to the purest form mm-hmm. of the Jesus, whatever thing that happened. Right. And maybe the words of Jesus is the best way to do that. like, Um, I also think that um, sometimes people feel like there's a different moral vision in the Bible in different places. And that what Jesus says, does it sound like what the apostle Paul says, for example, or it sounds nicer than the old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, well, maybe, maybe Jesus had it right. Maybe these other things are kind of off. So like, I I mean, I get, I get the, and those are all good, good motivations. There's also lots of bad motivations. Like the, it's easier to intentionally misunderstand or it's maybe not even intentionally. It's just easier to misunderstand the teachings of Jesus and feel like you get out of stuff, Mm -hmm. which is the stuff you don't want to offend about Christianity. So for example, Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't really talk about gender roles, right? right, In any of the gospels, Mm it was super directly, like in like first Timothy chapter two or Ephesians five. So if you want to be egalitarian, it's easier if you're arguing that from just the words of Jesus that we have recorded, or for example, if you want to be off the hook on, um, in engaging with homosexuality, homosexuals, like yeah. LGBTQ questions. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus explicit reference to sexual immorality is virtually always, well, I think is exclusively heterosexual mm-hmm. where he explicitly talks about a particular sexual sin. Now you, it doesn't really work as we'll probably get into, but it feels like it could work. It feels like if you only listen to the to direct sayings of Jesus, you could just get out of that whole discussion. Mm -hmm. entirely. And that I think for people, especially younger people now who have intense internal desires not to be excluded, Mm -hmm. that looks really promising that you can be a Christian. You can love Jesus. You can listen to his words. You can follow his teachings and you cannot be embroiled in the LGBTQ debates. In fact, you can be affirming and you can be fully egalitarian in terms of gender roles. And those culturally are the two biggest quote, black eyes of Christianity, right? So. There it is, mm-hmm. except for maybe th- uh, salvational exclusivity or something like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks, when they read the, the words of Jesus are able to contort the words of Jesus into all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I see its appeal. And so if, if you have, if you have an appeal or you, you know, you're like, I love people who are like this. Listen, I get the appeal, mm-hmm. but I also get the appeal of playing video games, eight hours a day and mm-hmm. eating sugar. Like mm-hmm. there's no tomorrow. Like right. it's still terrible for you. Yeah. Being a red letter Christian is really a really bad way to attempt to trust and believe in and follow the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And it is detrimental. It's harming to people around you. And Jesus in his own sayings says that you had better not do this hmm. because with the commandments he refers to in, um, let me see in Matthew. So in Matthew five nineteen, Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The con- the, the context of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus giving his midrashes or rabbinical teachings on the preceding Old Testament content that he's teaching. And when he says that, he's talking about his own commands rooted in the commands of the Old Testament and the mm-hmm. broader scriptures. And what he's saying to people is saying, listen, because um, some people could listen to Jesus sort of like riffing on the Old Testament commandments and mm-hmm. say, oh, he's just making up a new thing. Because he's expanding and he's he's like he's right. interpreting them in certain ways they weren't used to. So he's like, Oh, what Jesus is doing is he's like he's like giving us new commandments, basically, mm-hmm. and the old ones are gonna go away. And right. in the Sermon on the Mount, he says two things. One is, um, not a single letter of the Old Testament's gonna go away before I fulfill it all. Mm-hmm. Right? I, it's all fulfilled in me. That is, it continues mm-hmm. in its truthfulness mm-hmm. in my fulfilling of it. So Jesus sees himself in complete continuity with the old testament. But then he says, if you if you relax or teach anybody not to believe in any of these commandments, meaning the mm. commandments of the Old Testament, he is midrashing on. You're the least in the kingdom of God. That is yeah. like he's saying you're wrong. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, in the red letters of Jesus, Jesus rightly interpreted, is explicitly saying red letter Christianity is wrong. Right. So red letter Christianity therefore is self refuting. <laughs> the red letters of Jesus refute yeah. red letter Christianity. Great. I think that's really important. Yeah.
0: Well, if you like this podcast, make sure you like it. I'm just
1: kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, th- yeah. I mean, that's that's an important, that's obviously important. I think yeah. one of the things I was thinking too is like, I, I feel like Jesus is several times throughout his teachings, he he references like the writings and the prophets and like the old, the, the Torah. He like, he references the old Testament right. and not in, I don't think he's trying to refute the old Testament. I, I think he's trying to like use it as reference to like right. people over to the truth.
1: And yeah. And when he argues the Pharisees and Sadducees who are interpreters of the old Testament mm-hmm. as God's written word that we should believe in and obey, Jesus always refutes them from the old Testament always. And he says, you're wrong because you don't understand the Bible. Hmm. Yeah. So Jesus view of the old Testament mm-hmm. is that it is the word of God written. With yeah. enduring significance, all of it. Right. And frankly, people who want to be red letter Christians, if you say, well, what part of the Bible are you most embarrassed of, or which part do you think isn't the enduring word of God? Mm-hmm. Historically, people who have taken these sorts of views have mm-hmm. been u- upset about the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, whether that's for sexuality reasons relative to sexual commandments in places like Leviticus, mm-hmm. or whether it is believing that the Old Testament God is like not the New Testament God, he's like mm-hmm. vindictive and angry. So, I mean, the heresy of carving up the Bible to support the parts you like goes back to the earliest centuries Mm. of the church, Marcionism to Gnosticism, Right. And these heresies, people were like, well, the God of the old Testament can't be the God of the new Testament. They're different. Well, why do they think that? Because the church believed it was the Mm. same God. Well, it's because the surrounding culture believed in Gnosticism, a certain kind of spiritualism that believed that there's like, it was a form of dualism. There's like the evil God and spirits in the world. There's good gods and spirits in the world. And they're in conflict with one another. And so therefore the Bible has to be a book of the conflict between the demiurge, just mm-hmm. like bad spirits and the good. Right. You get this a little bit with like a Jordan Peterson in the present, where he'll mm-hmm. say like, there's the spirit of chaos yeah. and the spirit of order. Right. Like some and like, I, I think he understands, he understands the Bible isn't dualistic, yeah. but he understands there's a, there's a certain kind of dualism in reality that there is chaos. Right. There right. is evil and yeah. there is good and there is order. Right. And those are in some sense in conflict in the yeah. Judeo-Christian view though, it is God's permissibility and our involvement that allows chaos to continue because he could dispatch it in one moment as he yeah. does by simply speaking his words right. in creation.
0: It's not necessarily, it doesn't feel like they're in really in conflict, like they're in conflict, but it's like, a. it's not like there's a struggle that you're kind it's of like not his 50-50 could go either way. Yeah. Right.
1: It's not like this, like the Norse mythology that the, that the giants would win in the end because they would literally overwhelm the gods and the gods would lose. Yeah. It's not like that. It's not like, well, we'll see if God wins or not. There's never a question as to God is always acting utterly sovereign, sovereignly. No one can stand against him. That I mean, the, the old Testament says this: who can hold back God's hand. Right. Why do the nations rage? Why do they plot in vain? Right? Like mm-hmm. to plot against God, do, it's just crazy. Cause he's mm-hmm. utterly sovereign and powerful. Right. Right. But the Marcionites, like in the third and fourth century were like, okay, wait, the world isn't problematic. Right. If God was all powerful and all good, he would just get rid of all this. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a conflict That's what explains this, which is very similar to all the other ancient religions. The reason why the world is in chaos and conflict is because at the root of the primordial world is chaos and conflict, not Mm. reign and rule. Mm -hmm. And the Judeo-Christian view has always refuted that. Right. 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 So like generally speaking, what happens is there's something in the, there's a philosophy in the culture that goes against the Bible. That, that thing that goes against the culture is not taught in every page of the Bible, Mm -hmm. It's taught on certain pages of the Bible Mm -hmm. or certain books of the Bible. And so a certain group of people who would purport to be Christians will say, we don't believe in this part of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Right. And it can be as horrifically heretical as like Marcionism or just agnosticism. Jesus Mm -hmm. was never alive in the flesh, which literally contradicts first John as well as other things. Or it could be like an, an attempt to save the gospel. Like when Martin Luther, like wouldn't refer to or accept the book of James as part of the canon. Yeah, because he felt like it undermined the gospel and was not in keeping with the teachings of the gospel because he was so focused on justification, which was wrong of him, too. Right. Right. And it kept his spiritual teachings, I think, from being fully biblically balanced.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I think let's uh, we kind of just discussed the first question. Mm -hmm. So let's just move into the second question that I've written down here. Why are people more willing to follow Christ's teachings and not Paul and and the other apostles? It seems like they teach the same things these questions aren't necessarily like theological. Uh, they're more just like, what's the motivation behind this, which you kind of talked about that the, there's an emotional motivation because you can kind of manipulate things into making into like not making you stand for anything really. And being like, Oh, Jesus is love and Jesus loved everybody. I mean like, and that's just, I don't know. I just, seems to me like I just bad reading. Like that's Jesus like was an, I keep trying to read through the gospels and I'm like, my goal is to find w- where Jesus is kind and nice. And like, <laughs> there's like three times and the rest of you just ruthless.
1: Jesus is a lot tougher than people want. Yeah. To say and
0: so is, like, yeah. I had a disagreement with a lady about like how to deliver things. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I talk on this podcast? How do mm-hmm. I deliver stuff? And I, and she was like, you need to be more kind. You need, like, and like all these things. And, I, and okay. So I knew where that was coming from. And I was like, okay. I'm going to go back through the gospels and I'm going to read them and I'm just going to see, and I'm going to look for times where Jesus is kind and nice and gentle and all these great millennial mm-hmm. things. And I like found like a couple of them and I yeah. re, I was like, okay,
1: I need to be like more like that. Yeah. It's very few though. But
0: it's not like, it's like they it, read most they cases, the people, whole Bible.
1: In most cases, people are setting up a situation in which if Jesus is nice, like you're supposed to be, he can't contradict what they're doing. Exactly. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to contradict what you're doing. So here's and cool, so he contradicts them and, yeah. and he doesn't always do it in the meanest possible way. Right. Sometimes he tells a, like a really beautiful story. Right. But like even the story of the prodigal son, which is this like it's beautiful not, yeah. story of a father re, re, right. like receiving back his wayward child is a, is like yeah. he's speaking to the teachers of the law, basically saying, look, the prostitutes are in. The question is, are you in? Because the prodigal son comes home from whoring and is in the party with the father. Mm -hmm. But the son who's angry about the redemption of the younger brother is outside in the in the outer darkness and he's weeping and gnashing his teeth. Right. Right. And the father goes out to invite him to come in. And and everybody knows that's the teachers of the law. That's the Pharisees. And so Jesus tells this incredibly beautiful, kind, meek, gentle story. But he's saying, listen, the prostitutes who come to me, they're saved. Right. You may not be. Yeah. And I'm asking you to come in.
0: And in that way, it's 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 kind it's of it's hard. It's yeah, it's it, it is. It's
1: it's 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 very hard. And I think, and that's true of all of Jesus stories. Some of his most beautiful stories are basically saying, "Look, you're in or you're out. Yeah, either you're going to submit to me and believe in me and trust in me yeah. as I really am, not as you've made me up to be. Right. Or you are not mine. Or they're
0: sad in the sense that, like, like the rich young ruler." Right. where he just couldn't, he just couldn't do it. So he left. Yeah. And in and one of the
1: gospels, the rich, the rich, young like ruler asks his really foolish question. And it says that Jesus looked at the young man and loved him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's really clear that like God, like Jesus was yeah, kind. Yeah. And he, he was gentle, mm-hmm. but at the same time,
0: he was firm. He was he firm. Was, yeah. He
1: was clear. He told the truth, right? Because like it says in John one. um, he, he is the incarnation of grace right. and truth. So maybe a better topic
0: or con- conversation that relays, I think that's connected to this is like, why then do you young people right now in this current culture hate the, like they hate that they hate the way that Jesus was, they mm-hmm. hate the way that he talked, they hate the way that he like delivered things when you read it in the Bible. And so what they do is they just change it. This is happening in the church. They'll either just change it and they'll be like, Oh no, Jesus is love and love is acceptance. Yeah. And I think it's
1: because I think it's because some of those traits have to be commingled with impressive levels of maturity to work properly. And millennials and Gen Z's are seeing generations of adults, including boomers and Xers like myself, who they have not added profound personal virtue to those actions. And so when they are harsh, they aren't really being harsh the same way Jesus is.
0: Yeah. They're just being harsh because they're pissed. Right. And they're idiots and they're jerks.
1: And so like, like these millennials and Gen Z's, they'll see that and they're like, well, I don't want to be like that.
0: And then they completely swung the pendulum. So now they just accept everything. And this gets back to
1: Annalisa's statement with the podcast we did with her, where she said, you don't get rid of the principle. You address the abuse. Yeah. Right. I just think that's a really good, concise way to say it, right? Yeah. You, the, 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 the way to solve people being jerks is not to make them all pansies who can't right. tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. The, the way to solve right. it is to, to build the virtue necessary and the prudence right. so that you can tell the truth and you can do it with gentleness. Right? right, And in that sense, I mean, Peterson's, Jordan Peterson's like meekness is having a sword yeah, and keeping it in his learning. sheath yeah. or at, at least stop lying and learn to tell the truth as like yeah. fundamental yeah. to one of the reasons why people have found Peterson so empowering is because that tr- principle is necessary for any kind of good human development, and much less gone, spiritual growth.
0: He's gone far enough to even say, which I've appreciated that like sometimes silence is a form of lying. Like if you're in a situation right. where there's an injustice and things are going Poorly, and you know that that's happening and you still choose to say nothing for the sake of not causing causing more conflict or you know like all mm-hmm. the reasons that young people don't want to say anything, that's a form of lying in some ways or it's a form of injustice yeah. and it's well wrong. I agree
1: and, and, and that's actually something we can agree on like because if, if you think about the progressive protests after the death of George Floyd, right there were signs that said silence is violence, right which is making a similar yeah. claim that yeah. like it's unvirtuous and it's a per- complicit right. participation in the wrong that's happening. If you say nothing now, yeah. were they no, right about the particular yeah, right. question? Right. Well, that's debatable. I well, think
0: and that's, that's, that's the like difference between Christian, like we have but to they understand have the good,
1: principle yeah. that sometimes doing nothing or saying nothing right. is complicity. The question is how when? do you apply it? Yeah. Right. When
0: do you apply it? Yeah. And I think, right. I think that's important. I, I think, well, okay. So explain to people why what's the issue in this thinking that I can listen to Jesus and I can't listen to the apostles or I can't listen to the old Testament prophets? Where does, I know you, I know you talked a little bit about this, but like Mm -hmm. break it down for people as to why that doesn't make logical sense. Like why that just doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Okay. So first of all, uh, like I said before, it doesn't make sense because it's self refuting. Jesus, Jesus believed the old Testament and taught that if you taught people not to believe in the old Testament, you were wrong. So if you believe in the words of Jesus, you have to believe in more than the words of Jesus because Jesus' words affirm more than just his own words. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that particular passage. Mm -hmm. It's also passages like in John, I think it's in John 8 where, or John 10, where he's talking about like him being the son of God. And they're like, you can't be the son of God because Deuteronomy says that God is one. He's like, yes. But in the Psalms, it says God addresses someone and calls them gods, small g, Mm -hmm. because God, when he recognizes his image displayed, mm. those people are, quote, God's small g. So, like, I'm saying I'm the son of God. Unless you know more, you can't know to stone mm. me, right? Yeah. And he says in that statement, he says, isn't it written in the law? I said you are God's. Because law there refers to all of the Old Testament. Because the quotation is not from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which is, quote, the law. Mm. It's actually quotation from the Psalms. Mm. So, he, Jesus is considering the Psalms as part of the holy literature that he's referring generally to as the law. Huh. And then he says this, he says, it says in your law, I said, you are gods. If he called them gods, then to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken. What do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world? Right. So could that be Jesus
0: just in, just, he said that he is, sa- he is saying that the Psalms are part of the law and that he, in, 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 he's saying this through, through what he just said. Couldn't it also be him? Speaking to the Pharisees on their level, if they're like super legalistic, they maybe they've added the Psalms into the law according to their own theology. So Jesus is refuting them on the basis of their own theology, or is that? Am I, that's you can't figure that out. I'm reading too much. I mean, into p- it.
1: Partly, but Jesus explicitly says the sp- the scriptures cannot be broken. Okay, okay. I so mean, so it is, so you it can is. say you can say, well, what he meant was yeah. that the Pharisees believed that, yeah, and yeah, if yeah. the Pharisees were going to be consistent in their own minds, then then. Okay they believe this scripture could be broken but that's not what's happening yeah, okay. and that's not consistent with jesus other statements yeah, yeah. like when he says so not a not single not letter like of the of the old testament will be taken away but yeah. right but that instead he will fulfill it yeah. it's very clear that jesus believes in the in the scriptural validity of the old testament yes. and he believes that that the problem with the pharisees is not that they don't believe it it's that, is that they have misunderstood it right if they had understood it then they would agree with him because he is in agreement With the Old Testament. Yeah. That's his argument. Yeah. And it's the only way his argument makes sense. So part of the issue with red letter Christianity is, one, it doesn't... It's self-refuting. The red letters, that is the sayings of Jesus himself, refute, one... That you should teach people to only pay attention to the red letters. And two, that Jesus believed in only his own words. That's
0: false. You said that you have it written in the document that you don't tell people to buy red letter Bibles. Right. I
1: don't think any publisher should publish red letter Bibles. I think it is a terrible idea. And that, that gets to the second reason why this is wrong. The words of Jesus only make sense in their situated context. The only way you can interpret Jesus teachings correctly is in all the black letters around them in the gospels yeah, yeah, because yeah. red letter Christianity right, doesn't right. just mean I believe in the gospels and not the other books of the Bible. What it usually means is I believe, I believe when Jesus yeah. is speaking, when Jesus is being quoted, yeah. that's what I listen to. So Gosh. three quarters of the gospels aren't read in red letters because they're Jesus doing things right now. First of all, why would you believe that the actions of Jesus are less descriptive and communicative than the words of Jesus. That seems really weird. Well, especially could, if you're focused on action-oriented faith, which you could a, argue a lot of red-letter Christians are. John
0: one one. Well, that's not okay. Then you can't argue about that. That's not red-letter. Right. I was going to say you could say in right. The Nothing of in the John word, 1, one is yeah, is valid. It's not valid. Okay. Right. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty stupid. Yeah, so, I don't know how to. So, but argue but the problem that.
1: is then like, okay. So let's say Jesus something happens. There's this episode, and then Jesus gives a teaching. Okay. How do, you know, how do you really get clear on what Jesus is teaching? And the answer is, well, you read the black letter context around it, right? But what if Jesus is teaching about something like that's from the Old Testament? Well, how do you understand these red letters? Well, you read the black letter context in the gospel, and then you canonically connect it with the other things it's referring to in the canon. Meaning, the only way the red letters make sense, that you actually know what they're saying, is by paying attention to the context and the authoritative teaching of the black letters, yeah. For, and, and here's here's one really strong. Well, I'm sorry, not strong. I think it's strong, but really important example, right? Sexual ethics. Yeah, Jesus says, Jesus is very against what he calls sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. He uses a few different words, but there are ways to use your sexuality that are morally wrong. There's no question about that. Okay. Right. In Jesus's direct teachings, the question is, okay, so what amounts to sexual immorality? Right? And you see four progressive red letter Christians, they begin to define that like outside of the bounds of the black letters. Right. And, and so all like, red
0: letter Christians are somewhat progressive in that they're, they're getting rid of. Yeah, or liberal. I, mean, I don't right? know if
1: it's, I mean, I've just met people that are so against corruption and they just want to find the purity of Jesus. And it, it, it's not, it might not be for, I mean, maybe in this current generation, I think because the social pressure is pushing towards progressivism, but like in, in it, there were people older than me who would have called themselves red letter Christians earlier in American history here a few decades and they would not have been progressive, but they still would have been like, I want to get back to the purity of what Jesus taught. Hmm. Right. And so it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily, I think, I think most are, because I think one of the reasons people do this is to escape persecution. They don't want to face the derision of having a biblical sexual ethic and a biblical ethic relative to gender, especially at this moment.
0: Yeah. And now the problem is
1: the most excoriating things said about people, who behave that way are by Jesus. Jesus like, listen, if you're not willing to be hated by yeah. your own family, if you, you realize they called me a devil, they said I yeah. was full of the devil. Just imagine what they're going to call you. Like yeah. if, if as a Christian, you're like, I'm going to believe in the teachings of Jesus only. And that'll allow me to escape yeah. the dishonor and the hatred and the vitriol and the misunderstanding that comes from me be, having a biblical sexual ethic and a biblical gender ethic. You're literally, Jesus sa- says in his red letters, listen, if the culture likes you, you're bad. Like mm-hmm. you're, you are not following me. Like if you do really follow me, almost every culture in the world on one point or another mm-hmm. is going to decide to hate you. And right now that point is sexual morality. And I, it's think it's a lot. I think morality. it's a lot
0: of things. I mean, it's sexual morality. But well, like, I think
1: that's the point of the spear. I think yeah. it, I think it's more broadly than that. But yeah. this
0: is what confuses me about what you... And we don't have to talk But You tell me if we don't talk about this on the podcast. We can move on to something else. But when you're pastoring High Point and trying to do like more ethnically diverse things, and we talk about like diversity and what that means to people who are shallow is having black people and having... Hispanic people like having people who are not white that's what it means yeah
1: I, w- I would like to say that that's all it means to people who are shallow to yeah. everybody it should mean the inclusion of all peoples which in our right. context would mean including black black people and right Hispanic that's people part too. of all peoples. but to that's some people like peoples. they just think that's all it means and, and everything most, else can be put aside yes. for that to be achieved and to
0: most people of this culture I'd say that's true that, that that's what they think most people of this culture I don't know anybody who would say when we have a conversation about diversity that that the conversation is not about. It's always about skin color. It's always about skin color. It's never about oh well. What do they think about this idea? Do they have different ideas? Or like it's not. It's not. It's not about. It's like it's not about ideas. It's not about thoughts. It's not about how they talk. It's always about skin color. I've never had a conversation about diversity with somebody of this culture and and had a conversation that wasn't about race.
1: I I just I feel yeah I mean I I I do think when you talk about diversity. In America, I do think that race presents itself as highly relevant. Okay. But in the church, in the church, where where... I also believe that in the church, I just, "Eh." so I think where, I think where you get frustrated, you're talking about the culture and this is the culture. I think, I think where you get frustrated is when people behave as though anything is on the table. If you could only just get a black person to come to your church, if you're a predominantly white church. And I think that's, I would completely disagree with that. I would say, no, yeah, but, but you we t- have to follow the truth of the gospel
0: first. And then if somebody yeah. black comes into that, that's great.
1: Well, and I, I think that you can take aggressive, intentional actions to try to make the church hospitable and even attractive to black people or people who are not the predominant ethnicity. You There's just certain things you can't sacrifice to do that.
0: And, and it seems to me like I think God you wants have to sacrifice something
1: like, and also y- yes. why is it But bad? I think there are some things I w- I'm willing to sacrifice to trying to be more attractive to people who aren't Northern European. I, if, if I think some of those sacrifices are things that are like cultural and traditional and part of our sense of comfort. And I think, I think moving those aside would be, would be really good, but I don't think moving aside the teachings of the apostle Paul, for example, is a good way to do it.
0: That's yes, I agree with that.
1: Right. So, so if like, if there were black people who said, look, you can't preach out of any of Paul's epistles, if you want to attract us, I mean, obviously You would be
0: like, no, obviously it's like, it's not real,
1: but I would be like, well, yeah, I can't do that. Right. But if they said, okay, listen, can you make at least one applicational point in your sermon that focuses on people? So like, if you talk about the workplace, can you give at least one example of people who aren't the boss? or in, in a management or in charge position at their workplace for every time you talk about somebody who is in charge at their workplace, because more, there's more people in, in our community that aren't the boss at work. Like they're getting pissed on by people over them in hierarchical authority at work. And so how do you live in that relationship of submission We need gospel application to that. But every time you talk, Nick, you assume people, because you're talking mostly to college-educated white people, that they have employees under them more than they have employees over them. But when you talk to black people, it's more likely for us, sadly, that we're in positions or jobs or markets where we're submitting to people and we're often submitting to people who culturally are different from us. And so if you could think about that, when you apply the gospel, man, that would really help us. See, I would be like, Oh, absolutely. Because that's yeah. not only good for you. Yes. That's good for like everybody yeah. who, for whom that's their predominant experience. Right. I and of course there's some black people be like, no, I come to high point because I am in charge at work. And when Nick talks like that about it makes our sense vocations, me, it makes yeah. sense to me. I,
0: I'm with that. Does that I'm, makes sense? Yes. I think that's good. I don't, And sometimes that other people are. is going to
1: come from a black person. They're not asking, They're
0: not asking that, that though. Really? They're asking you to preach on like racial justice. Like modern right. day racial justice, which is a, which as far as I can tell, which, which is a, I'm
1: not against them wanting me to do that. What I am against is it's not the, real. the assumption of what I'm going to say.
0: Yeah. The well, idea to say
1: that races, racial, racial injustice or uh, at least racial division is a problem in our culture that we feel is real <laughs> and it's therefore relevant to talk about it. And God, God applies to everything. The question is, is that if a person is coming from a certain political standpoint and they want the, they want to pay the piper and pick the tune, and say what I should say about race that and I can't go to the Bible. It's one thing for them to say, Hey, read this book and see if some of the points here do go along with Jesus teachings and that you might be overlooking them. It's another thing to say, Nick, you need to say the church is the most racist institution in America which I think is absolutely false.
0: Or that America is just systemically racist. I think that this is the problem. We don't maybe we don't need to talk about this, but I'm just saying like if we're going to talk about Jesus saying that the culture is going to hate you. Yeah. Like there's no there's no statistical evidence that like the only evidence that we have for for black people being racially uh, I guess Treated treated um, unfairly economically racial because of their racial because of their color Mm -hmm. is is the way that the Democrats have like like tried to kill their babies and put Planned Parenthoods in their communities and like and incentivize single motherhood and like destroyed their family systems. And so for, for me, it's like if you're going to be a part of the culture, you're going to agree with what they say. On, on all these topics, but yeah. as, as the church, if we're going to talk about these things, which maybe we shouldn't talk about these things right. at all, if we are, we should be saying, You're, that's a bunch of bull crap. Here's what's literally happening. Here's the true statistics. You go deal with that. If you don't want to deal with that, then let's not talk because well, I'm not going to play your little feelings game. This is my issue, Nick. I just have an issue with all these feelings things. I think Jesus would hate it too. When I read the Bible, mm-hmm. it's like, I think he would hate that people are trying to create an objective reality about how they feel.
1: Yeah, I do think one of the things that ha- has struck me over the years is jesus willingness to hurt people's feelings i mean in in he doesn't even it doesn't even feel like he thinks twice about one of the area one of the one of particular episodes okay so first of all i want to say you said a bunch of things about race there that i there is part there i agree with a portion of it i do think that it needs to be Balance the nuance really carefully. I think that's a different podcast. I don't think we I should agree, go back I to agree.
0: That. I said a bunch of general things because it was in the yeah. middle of, of a podcast. So we can right. do a fully, totally different podcast on that particular sure. subject.
1: Sure. Because I, I do think that – I yeah, anyways. I, so part of the part of the issue is if I preach on race, I'm going to say things that conservatives don't like and I'm going to say things that progressives don't like. And that's just the way it is. Um, because I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to follow the teachings of the whole of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Some of the most beautiful interracial teachings in the Bible are not in the teachings of Jesus because Jesus was focused on reaching Jewish people. There are places where he's interethnic in his behaviors with like Samaritans, let's say, but like the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful multi ethnic passages in the Bible is in the, the epistle of Paul in Ephesians mm-hmm. chapter two and, and some other places like that. And they are incredibly beautiful passages about the multi-ethnic nature of what the gospel should achieve. Yeah. And, um, they are not in the red letters of Jesus. And so this is another example. If you want racial right. justice and if you, you want to see what the Christian faith the has to teach yeah. about racial justice, you need to listen to the apostle Paul.
0: But Ephesians is a tough one. Not it talks just, about sexual ethics and, the and women things. submitting to their husbands, yeah, right. wives
1: submitting to their husbands. Yeah. Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Yes. So where do where you want to go from here? So, well, okay. So there's an, I, I'd love to go back to red letter Christianity yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. the additional yeah, yeah. things that are wrong with that reasoning. Mm-hmm. So, so first is it self-refutes. The second is you can't actually understand the red letters without the black letters around them. If you understand them by the black letters around them, then the result is you're, you are using the black letters as authoritative interpretations of the red letters. They are the word of God. Yeah. Right. Thirdly, Um, Sometimes you absolutely have to have the authoritative nature of those black letters to properly understand the red letters. The example I was giving before we jumped off to race was sexual ethics. Hmm. So when Jesus says sexual immorality over and over and over and over again, right, Mm -hmm. what is he saying? And the answer is that he's assuming the current Jewish context relative to Leviticus 18 and 21.
0: There's no question
1: about what he thinks sexual immorality is. And so Jesus, Jesus, therefore, if you said, well, where do we get these? commands about sexual morality. He'd be like, well, in the law that I keep right. quoting, that is the basis of our culture of and we, that God yeah. gave us right. out of Sinai through Moses right. who spoke authoritatively of yeah. whom I am the second Moses. Right. And so therefore, well, in those passages are, of course, injunctions against homosexual sex as yeah. well as other things, yeah. um, sexual relations between all close relations, even just social relations because of the problems that it creates in families and society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but those dynamics and how they work out, and of course the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery and everything that that points to, yeah, is what he means by sexual immorality. And so you can't really understand. And if you don't accept Jesus' teachings connected to his own heritage and what he's teaching from in the source material he quotes and what he says is the word of God right. that he's appealing to, then what does he mean? And the answer is, well, wh- whatever you care for it to mean. Right. Which is basically you just dis- reading a, a verse of Jesus and then using that to proof text yourself or your culture, right. which is very dishonest to then turn around and say that you are following the teachings of Jesus. You don't believe in the red letters of Jesus. You're not following the teachings of Jesus. because and you're not a Christian because you don't, you're not willing to accept the external context that tells you what they mean.
0: And so you're not a Christian. I right?
1: think that depending on which of those you misunderstand, it could result in the fact that you're deceived about being a Christian at all. The better version is just that like, You're like a vegan with bad nutritional information trying to eat well. Like you're, you, you have, you're not availing yourself of so much spiritual nutrition and you have this like very narrow idea of what you can even learn from that. You have just like boxed yourself out from the word of the word of Christ on so many levels in so many ways that you, you can't help but being anemic and underweight and unhealthy spiritually. And, and also the assumptions built into red letter Christianity your unwillingness to receive from the authority of the whole of God's word is going to work its way into your sense of trusting the authority of God in all kinds of other things. And as you in a lack of humility, reject the other teachings of God, it's going to lead you away from him. It's 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 like, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Christian because believing any particular verse of the Bible isn't what makes you a Christian or not. It's that you believe the word of Christ that he died for your sins and rose for your justification. You repent as a sinner and turn to God as your Lord Right. That is master and yeah. savior. But then if he's really your master, then you, gotta, you do what he says, yeah, do what says, but he says to believe more than just the red letters. Right. So that becomes, a, so you might be a Christian, but you might be believing something that's going to get you to where you're not one. Not You'll Christian. fall away. You'll to, in the words of the apostle Peter fall from your secure so you position.
0: People can lose their fa- salvation. I, that's an, I believe I, that at least
1: phenomenologically. Somebody who can yeah, yeah, say yeah. that they're a Christian believe they're and Christian. believe psychologically yeah. can walk away. I think yeah. that's empirically undeniable. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Whether
1: or not metaphysically they're the, among yeah, the elect right. and they lost their salvation. Who I can't knows? comment yeah. on that because I can't. A there's question, no empirical way to get at those. I can just yeah. believe what God tells us, which is that. it. There's a question
0: I have in, in Galatians. So I see a lot... In, In the Bible, obviously, Paul in Galatians especially talks about, like, you know, anybody who preaches you a gospel contrary to the one that he preaches you, let them be accursed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to explain, like, people who add to the gospel, who are adding things on, adding circumcision. And Mm -hmm. where is there—because I feel like that's not really— relevant to this time mm-hmm. in America. I feel like people are just taking away from the gospel. Mm-hmm. Where is that? Which I, I know that that's a gospel that's contrary to Paul's gospel. So it still stands. Yeah. The apostle would Galatians. say that it's a
1: different gospel. Yeah. It's an totally a totally
0: different gospel, but mm-hmm. like, wh- but he goes like into depth in Galatians about, people adding to the gospel and I haven't, seen, where does it go into depth about people taking away from the gospel, taking away from Christ's teachings, which I think is what red letter Christianity does. Yeah. And it's the popular way of doing Christianity today. Just yeah, just buffet Christianity. I'm just so, pick yeah, so this
1: gets at another significant problem with red letter Christianity, which is sometimes people say they want to do this because it's pure and that it really gets at the teachings of Jesus. But the, the problem is, is that the Christian faith as it comes to us is, is from Jesus, but it's mediated. Apostolically, That is, it comes through the apostles. There is no way to access Jesus without doing so through the teachings of the apostles, unless you want to believe somebody who has no relationship to Jesus whatsoever and just made stuff up. Mm-hmm. Right. All of the, all of the new Testament material is apostolic. That is, it's from the apostles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you, for example, read the gospel of John and you pay attention to the red letters, what you're reading is John's recollection right? The apostle John is teaching you what Jesus said and the apostle John listened to and was with Jesus for three years. So the apostle John is deciding what of all of that experience and all of those teachings and everything Jesus said, he's going to share with you. And he's putting it in his, the, his own words of his memory 50 years later. Right. So he's quoting Jesus verbatim, but he's also quoting him out of his own recollection and experience. So he is a witness to Jesus. So what you're doing is you're, you're listening to an eyewitness tell you what happened, right? There is no way to access Jesus without accessing him through a witness or an apostle. Once you realize that, these distinctions become really arbitrary. So for example, you believe the red letters in the gospel of John, but not the black ones, but they're all from John. John has chosen and sculpted all of these to do what he says in John 21, help you see and know that Jesus is the son of God. And he says, like I could have written, I could have filled all the books in the world with the stuff Jesus.
0: Yeah. What that means is
1: this is a very selective subset that I, John have chosen for you with the purpose of convincing you that Jesus is the son of God, which means you are receiving the testimony of Jesus through John. Yeah. And if you can't accept that, there's no Jesus for you to access The red letters are no different than the black ones. They're coming to you through the apostolic witness. Now, once you recognize that, then what's the difference between the black and the red letters? Nothing. Okay. Let's take it further. The book of revelation was almost certainly written before the gospel of John written by John. What? And Jesus is there in there and he's quoted as speaking prophetically. Are those the red letters? Do you listen to those red letters? Like the, the speaking of Jesus to the seven churches in Turkey, in early revelation. Is, are those red letters you listen to? Because in red letter Bibles, they're in red.
0: Yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. But
1: this isn't Jesus in his earthly ministry. This is in his resurrected form, standing mm. over the churches as the resurrected son of God, which mm. means if you believe in those red letters, you believe in all the supernatural stuff about Jesus. He's not just a wandering Jewish Hebrew rabbi. He is the living river of running water of life that God himself standing over all of the churches as the risen high priest who will be the returning conquering King, right? who like his, his feet are like a fire and his hair is like wool. And like, this is the Jesus who's speaking. And if you believe in those red words, you believe in the Jesus speaking them, which is the supernatural resurrected King. So you can't have your like John Dominic crossing, like, like historical reduced Jesus. Mm-hmm. So like, you're going to have to like, so, so you don't really believe in all the red letters. You just believe in some of the red letters. But then right. if you believe in the apostolic witness of John in the gospel of John in the red then letters, have, yeah. why not the black letters? Why not revelation? And then why not John's epistles? It's the same John. Yeah. He said he knew the same Jesus, what he's teaching the churches in first in John. He's teaching out of his experience with Jesus based on what Jesus taught him. To his quote, little children—that is, those he's shepherding as Christ's apostle. So, how can you not believe in First John if you believe in John's writings of the experience and teachings of Jesus and John? I think it that, doesn't make any sense. No,
0: I think you're right; that doesn't make any sense. But what I've realized in, in conversations over the past week, especially the past couple weeks, is that people nowadays are not like I used to think that people were just dumb, and I realized that's not—they're the intentionally case. irrational. I don't know, but Nick, I don't know if they're intentionally rational or it's, it's that like, how powerful is this postmodern philosophy on people that they like, are they intentionally unable to recognize their, their, um, unreasonableness and illogical conclusions? Like, because I've had conversations, it's like, i try my best to break it down as, as like step by step as I can. Okay. If this is true. Then we go to here and we go to here and then we go to here. And then, and then we, that we, re, we recognize, we, we agree on every step. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. Then we get to the conclusion. I agree. Okay. So then, then they say something and it totally refutes what they just said that they agree, agreed on. And then I say to them, okay, well then I'm like, okay, let's just go back and go through these steps again to see where we're missing it. Right. But they can't get it. It's like, doesn't work. Their brain can't connect the two things together. And I'm like. So when you tell them that if you have to if you believe in John's writing of the Lud Redders, you have to believe in his writing of the black letters. That makes a lot of sense. Reasonably logically. I mean, why wouldn't
1: you believe in his other works that he wrote even other, earlier?
0: Exactly. Well they would just not get it. I, I just think people can't I and I don't know why. I'm trying to figure it out right now. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't people understand like have we just destroyed these people over the last 100 years in the public school system to like, they can't think at all and they never will be able to like I mean, it's, how do I, you do this i mean
1: i w- i would put it at the feet of digital technology before i would do it at public schools i know you're just like my dad he says the same thing digital technology Is eviscerates the capacity of concentration. Like, like, listen, if you have a atheist teacher at your public school who is intentionally attempting to brainwash you with atheist arguments, he's at least making arguments. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas digital, digital life persuades you by Uh, appealing to your sensuality that none of that matters. mm -hmm. And it gets you living in only your intuitive mind and not your slow thinking mind. And also, the ideology of progressivism, particularly in the more radical, um, critical schools, teaches you that um, that reason is itself a colonizing force. And what what they mean, what they sort of mean, okay, oh, what they mean by is that, that is, is that an
0: argument is that a, a serious, Yes, argument? And here's really?
1: why, right? So, like, um, you can get good at reason, and you can engage in sophistry, right? You can use reason to prove something that another person can't refute. They just don't know how. Right. And in doing so, they believe conscientiously. Well, then I guess I have to believe it. And then I guess I have to submit to it. And so if you can use reason and argue better than other people, you can take power over them if they believe in the truth. Right now there's two solutions to that. One is you learn to refute people. Right. And to learn and to figure out why they're wrong. The other is to, um, is to eliminate that mechanism of power to say Raise rational it. thinking yeah, in those think kinds it. of ways is a is a colonization method, mm-hmm. right? Now, I think that that second way of going about is ex- like it's like it is like you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? No, Instead I of addressing the abuse, you're getting rid of the principle of human life. That's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's, that's like, but you can understand the motivation, especially if you're in a sub community where you aren't trained to think from when you're a little kid. Uh, You don't read that well. And You certainly don't want to take philosophy classes. You've never taken any logic. And now some white idiot is like arguing for something and you literally hardly understand what he's saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he seems so
1: sure and he's read so many books and you are like so outgunned. But like the conclusion that he's coming to You're like, I can't believe that. Like if I believe that, then like I'm everything else that I believe
0: needs to change. And
1: like, and, and so, and you don't know if he's right. Totally, maybe if you had another person that That disagreed and they kind of and you could watch it you'd be like, Oh, see, he's wrong, but they're not there. So Mm -hmm. what do you do? And what you, what post critical theory would say is you don't submit. You say, I love all that reasoning you're doing. That's all sweet. I'm glad you read so many books, but I don't believe that. I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to reject because it's also a colonizing force. You're taking me over and I'm not going to allow that. So yes, the danger is, is that you don't accept the truth and you don't grow. But like, remember like education and family histories and even cultural dynamics have made it. So like some people are literally bringing a balloon to a gunfight mentally. And if you're in that camp of people, and I'm not saying this is like, all black people or something but like no 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 the people that i've been having a conversation with are young white people oh yeah oh yeah and who who who
0: are college educated from, right. the, from the best universities absolutely. in america
1: oh absolutely yeah um and but their their educations have been eviscerated and i, they I don't, freaking they don't read good yes. books anymore they right? don't read
0: i don't even think they read books it's not even that breed well good the books. only way
1: the only way to grow intellectually in a well i would say a critical way is to be criticized you have to criticize every idea. One of the problems with the critical schools is they're not critical enough. I mean, this is where this is where the Bible gets at it. Where like people criticize religion, it's like, okay, listen, you know, who criticized the Christian religion, the Judeo-Christian faith, long before any of you postmoderns did. The Christian religion faith.
0: Right. Just right, go right. and
1: read the the prophets. But they didn't just like wipe out the foundation of all of humanity. They they addressed the abuse. They dealt with yeah. the problems. They criticized yeah. where corruption had come in. They did yeah. it in good
0: faith. The great theologians of all time uh, oftentimes are, try, are, are I, what I've seen is that they're trying to build a theology kind of where the church is missing theology. Right. Like it, they, they're... Like Luther and, and Calvin, yeah. these guys are trying to like add to the church rather than take away from it and, and fix right. some things. And I think that that's, but yeah, they're not just like, I'm deconstructing right. <laughs> I'm de- Luther and yeah. deconstruct his Okay.
1: So let me push this a little farther. Cause I want to see if I can get people to the whole new Testament canon. Well, the whole Bible, if I can. Wow. Okay, wow. so you start with, with Jesus' words. Okay, Jesus' red letters say that he believes that he's going to fulfill the Old Testament and not a single letter of it can pass away. Yeah. And he says that the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, can't be broken. And he explicitly says in his red letters that if you tell anybody to not be part of these commands in a way other than the way he teaches, that you are the least in the kingdom of God, which either means you're going to hell or it means you're going to be saved, but just barely. Right? W- meaning you're, you, you still belong, <laughs> perhaps, yeah. but... Everything you did was wrong. Basically, you did nothing good that can be commended. Right. That's not where you want to be. So the red letters of Jesus explicitly from the Old Testament, our reading of the Old Testament and our obeying of the Old Testament in right conjunction interpretively with his words. Right. And how he teaches and what he's taught. Okay, great. Now, secondly, there's the issue of the words of Jesus themselves are mediated to us through the apostles. Right. That all the Gospels are the work of the Apostles. J- Jesus red letters say that he's instituting his church on Peter in Matthew 16. That is on the apostolic witness. Yeah. Right. And yeah. in the earliest chapters of Acts, and the end of the book of Luke, he's and in like John 21, he breathed his Holy Spirit on the Apostles. Because the apostles are the ones who are going to carry on the faith. Jesus. I mean, think about this. Jesus didn't write anything. Yeah. I mean, think about that for a minute. Was that is he literate? We don't I've,
0: know. Yeah, I've thought about that.
1: But I mean, he he was very
0: literate in his speech. He had to have been. He's God. I mean, he had to have known how to. Yeah, write. Yeah, but and... even
1: in his humanity, what he learned, what he learned in his life, um, it, like the the literary um the literate literate num- literacy numbers were were fairly low, They're, especially yeah. probably in Nazareth. But <laughs> I mean, Jesus clearly knew the Old Testament. He was very literate in his speech. He right he was impressing the people in the, the temple. The likelihood that he could read, I think, is pretty high, actually, yeah. not pretty low. Now, because you could learn in the synagogue as a young man, like you could learn to read the Torah. Now, now the issue here then is why didn't Jesus write anything down? Why don't we have any manuscripts that Jesus wrote on? And the answer is because he chose to not do it that way.
0: That's he so chose
1: weird. to raise up twelve disciples. And to entrust them with the message. Because think think about this, Andy. How much would we fetishize something we knew literally Jesus had penned? And would we listen to anything else? And the answer is no. Yeah. So whatever reason, Jesus chose to do it that way. Because of that, what we have about Jesus But
0: he also could have written the whole New Testament canon himself if he wanted yep, to. Absolutely. He could have. I just don't that is weird. I don't but get But think that. about it this
1: way. Like a lot of people would read like the The work of Plato. And Plato portrays Socrates in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And people say, well, Socrates said this. And well, Socrates might have said that. But But what you're reading is Socrates' disciple Plato portraying him.
0: They always say they say that those two kind of mesh together historically because you don't know when one stops and one begins. And
1: that's true when John is quoting Jesus. Right. And the re- why do we believe in the gospel of John? Is it because Jesus speaks in it? Well, no. Jesus, quote, speaks in the gospel of Thomas, in the gospel of Judas, in all these apocryphal gospels that came about in the second century. What's the difference between Jesus speaking in those and Jesus speaking in John? The answer is not Jesus. The, the answer is John. That, that this gospel is connected to an apostolic witness. John, okay, but, because but, but, John stands behind the gospel, clarify. we think this is the real Jesus who's speaking in it, and we can therefore listen to Jesus because John is telling us about the real Jesus. Clarify why that doesn't apply for but, Judas and Thomas? Because Judas and Thomas are apocryphal gospels; they weren't written by Judas or Thomas, right? Okay. And so, therefore, they aren't from an apostolic witness, and so we don't accept them. They were just lies. But you can notice that because they these because the the uh, the, the apocryphal gospels or the pseudapocryphal gospels, the fake gospels, yeah. They the, people understood that people aren't going to believe what you say Jesus said unless you were an apostle. So <sighs> they put the name of Thomas on it. Yeah. They put the name of Judas on it. Though in its literary style and what it says and how it's written, it's very clear that these are second or second century or later documents, and they're clearly forgeries. Huh? Right. So I wonder. Once you... you recognize you're you're listening to the apostolic witness, yeah. Then the question is, okay, well, then John is just as much the apostolic witness as First John, Second John, and Third John in yeah. Revelation. Right. Also, the reason Mark is in the gospel is because of the apostolic authority of Peter.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's Mark, Peter's is, gospel. Mark is an associate
1: yeah. of, of Peter's. And so Mar- Mark's gospel is essentially Peter's gospel authority wise. OK, right. well, if you believe Peter's representation of Jesus in Mark's gospel, why don't you believe in first and second Peter, Peter's epistles? Yeah. Right. And the answer is, well, you should, probably should. Wait, who's Peter's li- epistles were written earlier and they are more obviously connected to Peter as an apostle specifically like his authorship is less right. doubted in first and second. People. Who is Luke attributed to? That's
0: obviously the physician. So Luke is
1: a traveling companion of Paul, of Paul. Right. But Paul traveled to Jerusalem at least twice. And he, he worked with the apostles. Did Luke compi- specific time. Okay. He, we know Paul spent specific time with Peter. Cause he talks about in Galatians yeah. and them getting in a fight, but he also works with Peter in Acts 15 mm-hmm. and he goes back to Jerusalem at the end of his ministry and meets with people there again. So, so Luke expresses that Paul was in league with and in agreement with the other apostles that had the longer apostolic witness of Jesus' ministry.
0: And so Luke is writing, uh, he's not writing for anyone in particular. He, Luke kind of like went around and, yeah, and interviewed people right. and talked to people. And so his gospel is more, is like the uh, chronological. Right. Like... Luke
1: argues that he should be believed because of his research that he has researched everything very thoroughly from, but from apostles and eyewitnesses. Gotcha. Right now it gets worse for the red letter Christian because in second Peter, Peter explicitly says that the apostle Paul's writings are scripture. Yeah. Okay. So if you understand that Peter's behind Mark, that's why you're believing in Mark in the first place. Right. And there you, therefore you realize it's apostolic and it's authority. Right. Therefore, Peter is an apostolic witness that we should believe in. Therefore we should, We should trust as apostolic witness first and second Peter in second Peter three verse 16. He says he that's the apostle Paul in the context writes the same way in all his letters speaking in them of these matters, meaning the matters of the gospel. Right. And he says his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destructions. So he's lumping in. I love that Peter's
0: just really straightforward with this.
1: This, this, Yeah. So he considers the writings of Paul inspired writings that stand with the other scriptures. In this case, it would be the old Testament Mm -hmm. because the gospels didn't exist yet. Yeah, probably Mark might've existed. Maybe Matthew, almost certainly not Luke or John.
0: The, the interesting thing, and this is just a tiny little side note. I am reading through First Timothy right now. It's just mm-hmm. like these little interesting things where the, the they're talking about each other, or they're just kind of weird, like like in Timothy, where where Paul says, uh, "Make sure to drink some wine so that your stomach doesn't get yeah. like like messed up or whatever." And I went down to the notes to figure out what that meant, and, yeah. and it was like the notes in my Bible were like we have no idea what this means in this context. It was basically just like... Clearly, like
1: Timothy had some kind of stomach yeah, problem. He had some,
0: it was just like, this doesn't and, have anything to do with anything before it or after right. it, and he just moves right into something else. It's yeah. just funny. It's just I, think, like a, I
1: think also what's important here is to recognize there is no evidence in any writing of the New Testament that Paul was not in full fellowship with the other apostles and that the other apostles did not regard his teaching as yeah, authoritative it, and the, apostolic. Didn't you say
0: that Peter says that... Oh, does Peter say that he's writing scripture or does he say that Paul's no, writing? Paul's writings he, ri- he says are he like the
1: other scriptures. Like
0: the other scriptures, yes. So yeah. Peter's so saying in 2
1: Peter that he believes Paul's writings amount to scripture. They are scriptures. They're inspired by God and authoritative in the church. And now think about this. If Peter and Paul were at odds and Peter thought Paul was preaching a different gospel, right. he wouldn't just not say his writings were scripture. Right. He'd be like, listen, be careful with those writings of Paul. Like He'd give some kind of warning, but he doesn't. He's like, yeah, yeah. Paul is harder to read than some than some of the stuff I write or maybe the apostle John writes. And so people who are of distorted mind will distort what he writes. So you will hear. so, So basically what Peter's saying is you'll hear some teachings of Paul that are not correct, but it's because unstable people have distorted them. Like they do all the scriptures, right? You're always going to hear people who are going right. to read Genesis wrong or first Chronicles yeah. wrong. And they're, they're going to distort that the, teachings mean that of Jesus. The, the
0: writing is wrong. Right. It means that the interpretation is wrong.
1: right. And so, yeah. so Peter makes sure to affirm Paul's writings on the level of scriptures. Yeah. So that people understand where the distortion is coming from. No, Paul has written scriptures. These are Gosh. the writings of God. That is God inspired them. And these are authoritative apostolic material for the nursing of the church oh, through which God dude. continues to inspire the church. When people say stuff that is the wrong interpretation of Paul's writings, that's wrong and needs to be refuted. These are spiritually unstable people. Now, listen, according to Peter, and this is going to be a hard thing to hear, maybe for some people, according to Peter, red letter Christians would fall into that group of the unstable (laughs) people who are distorting and misunderstanding the, the apostolic witness.
0: And anybody who distorts the gospel should be accursed, according to Paul.
1: Well, in Galatians, he's talking about a specific distortion a that undermines of, grace as the basis by which we're accepted by God and receive his spirit. So changing the gospel to a gospel of, of works, works
0: rather than is faith and yeah.
1: anathema in that person sure. should be condemned. Distortions, but it can require right out refutation. Gate, you know. So in this context, it could be that you're anathema. But it also could be that you are in heresy and need to be corrected and shouldn't teach this to anybody. The first thing I would say, listen, if you consider yourself a red letter Christian, the first thing for your own spiritual safety, I would say is do not teach this to anybody. Do not teach anybody to do what you are doing, because it's one thing to be wrong before God.
0: There's nothing to teach wrong. It's
1: another thing to teach it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because I mean, the, the gospel says if you believe bad stuff, it doesn't say if you believe anything bad, you're going to hell. It does say that if you cause the destruction of the faith of even one of these little ones, it would have been better if somebody would have tied a multi hundred pound like stone to a rope around your neck and And thrown you into an ocean. That would have been better. So just listen, be very, very careful what you teach spiritually Mm -hmm. because you will be held accountable for that. And it's effect on other people. If you believe this conscientiously, like you really think this is right, then test this and see if it's right. Hopefully what I've said helps you see that it's not right but listen i think you can be a red letter quote red letter believer and you could end up saved you might be saved i think it's i think it's probably more unlikely than likely and it's not a game that you want to play but like listen if you teach it to people i think i can say with more certainty that you you'll be a you'll be a curse
0: but even even in the belief it's not like i know you say that and there's like a possibility that they could be saved but like that's not a, I don't think that's a game people want to, like, that's no. not like a chance anybody wants to take, like, to be like, I'm a red letter Christian, and you die and you go to hell. No, if
1: the apostles if you're teach wrong. Yeah. to do everything you can to confirm your assurances.
0: Yeah, which would be not. To
1: know this. that you yeah, are in a secure position, but to know, like, like the way Peter says it is that you can fall from your security. Like, that's the next verse, verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this. That is, all of you already know Paul's writings are scripture, and all of you know that unstable people distort them. You all know this, mm-hmm. right? He says, be on your guard. That is, in this in this context, be on your guard against people who say being a red-letter Christian is a good idea. Yeah, Be on your guard against them if you're a true believer. He says, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Now think about this. I think a lot of what is motivating red letter Christianity is not wanting to live up to the hard teachings of Jesus, particularly in our culture relative to gender and sex. Now it's other things too, but, but those like, if if you're out, if I mean, it's much harder to come out of the closet in our current culture as being for a traditional sexual ethic than to come out of the closet as trans or gay. As far as I can tell, maybe they're similar depending on the subcontext that you're in. But like what he's saying is, is that, The way some people deal with that is they distort the teachings of the gospel so that they can be lawless, meaning not do what Jesus told them to do, not do what God has told us to do. And so to not uphold a Christian sexual ethic, the sexual ethic of Christ as taught by his apostles in his red letters, his black letters, and the apostolic letters, to do that is to to distort the teachings unto lawlessness so you can do whatever you want. And he says, look, look, if you're a believing Christian, you need to be on your guard against this yeah right he says because he says that you may not be carried away into error the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position hmm. So if you stay in trust in Christ nothing can can like do anything about that but if you it's it's almost like you're in a fort and there's there are people trying to fight you and they can't get into the fort yeah but you're actually free to leave the fort if you want to yeah but if you leave the fort you're gonna get killed you're gonna die yeah. and so Christian security, is you're hundred percent secure. If you're in the fold of the sheep with the right. shepherd and he's right. holding you in his arms. If you're inside the fort, if you're on your secure position, you're a hundred percent safe, but you can get off of it. Yeah. Right. You can, you can unbelieve you right. can, you can, um, you can be quote deconverted, so right. to speak. Right. And when you do that, the new Testament seems to claim that you're lost. Yeah. So, and, but that, and that's like the only way you can be lost. Huh. And so therefore protecting your mind and heart in Christ Jesus by believing the whole teachings of the apostles right. is what produces a sound fortification around you, belief-wise. If you only believe in certain things in certain ways and, and, and it like it fits and it helps you like navigate your feelings and you don't feel scared. Like I, I can see why people would want to do that, but you're not in the fort. Right. You're just you're not protected by the teachings of Christ and His apostles. There are no teachings of Christ. Apart from the mediating to being mediated to us through his apostles. And there is no meaning to the teachings of Christ without their relationship to the old Testament. You will misunderstand almost every teaching of Jesus. If you don't understand it's rootedness in the old Testament, and you will still misunderstand it unless you see how the apostles interpreted it. Yeah. Because they're the only people who were able to have an audience with the risen Christ and allow him to fully interpret things. And then let me give you another example. Why red letter Christianity is a terrible idea. The gospels are written as a drama. And so their teachings are unfolding. Mm-hmm. And so the teachings and the gospels are intentionally incomplete because you're supposed to be learning as the apostles are learning. And so, for example, you don't really know that Jesus is the Messiah in the gospels until the last third of the book. So the gospels are written as theological discoveries. hmm. More than direct teachings all the way through the epistles, because they're letters to churches, they're direct teaching all the way through. Everything is being worked together in its mature state. Mm -hmm. When you read the gospels, you're reading cumulatively through the gospel. Right. right. And so you can read something in John four and it just, it might not, it might not be complete. And if you don't know how to interpret it intertextually, you'll get it wrong. And if you're not believing the the black letters that make the whole narrative make sense and make it build on itself, you don't understand where to put these red letters. Right. And so you will not understand them properly. And so that's like a I mean, and yeah. I could go, I got more reasons here, Andy. I could go on <laughs> and on about how this view is self-refuting. It misunderstands I think the historicity it, of we things should do, it's in a relationship in scripture and so on.
0: We should do a podcast at some point on how to think logically or just how to think, like how, yeah. how to put things together. Because I think what I've just continuously run into is no matter how good the argument is, people will just be like, well, agree to disagree. Yeah, And it's like, this isn't a disagreeable matter.
1: Oh, this is in the first couple of chapters of Screwtape Letters.
0: The disagree, agreed to disagree. No, Lewis,
1: Lewis says like, so the one devil's talking to the other and he's like, listen, the fun about tempting people now, and this was written in the 1940s. Yeah. A long time ago. The, the fun thing about tempting people now is if you go back far enough, people knew how to think and reason and they would follow reasoning and they kind of knew when something was proved or disproved. He's like, that's not true anymore. We've screwed that all up. That's over. Yeah. Now it's about how people feel. It's about immediate sense experience. Dang. So what you want to do as a devil is don't let them get shut up with their books in a library and read and think that is not what we're doing as devils. What we're doing is you pull people out, pull them out of the, He's like, he's like, let me get to tell you example. There was this old atheist that I had been, this is, um, this is the voice of a devil, right? A demon um, that I'd been working on for years. And he was, he was a very strong atheist and I had really worked him and he was in the museum one day and he was reading something and mm-hmm. he, he, uh, yeah, he stumbled remember. on this train of thought yes, that was I leading remember.
0: him to theism. I remember this. Yeah. And I, he
1: said, yeah. he said, now
0: listen, a inexperienced devil. He had him think about lunch or something like that. Right. Yeah. He said, yeah. an
1: inexperienced devil would have argued against it. He said, I was not such a fool. <laughs> I said, Um, isn't it about time for lunch? Or like I, I, I like I like what at his hunger. Yeah. And, and the guy was like, Well, but this is important. He said, then I countered with, yes, much too important to consider over an empty stomach. Yeah, right. Better to go have some lunch and then come back and think about it. He said, then he said he said, and I had really trained this guy's stomach. So he believed it. He said, then the minute I got him in the street, I showed him a newsboy, a number 14 bus. And then I was like, look, this is real life. Not these ideas that come into your head when you're shut up in a library. Right. Right. He said, and then he said, you know, that man is now well done with our father below. Right. And his, and his, his argument was like, he says, he says, Wormwood, if you're a devil, don't argue with people because that, now you're, you're technically on the enemy's ground because you're
0: you're Cause you're, you're arguing the basis of reason and logic right. you're yeah. treating somebody like they're more just than a creature you're treating a, them yeah. like an
1: angel like a, a, a like a, a soul
0: like they have the ability don't to. do
1: that the the body like getting the body to just like grunt is is like that's in our advantage so lead them out into the immediate stream of sense experience now mm. that was in the 1940s i know i know now, the immediate stream of sense experience is in your is in your pocket With the most aggressive pornography there ever has been social
0: media and all these other things that are
1: are literally psychologically now designed to, to overwhelm your mentalities. And so, yeah, it's true that like if in the 1940s Lewis already observed that the average student in school already couldn't think. And it has gotten exponential. And the dude worse. in the
0: Christianity and Liberalism book, in the first section, he's just just trashing kids in school and what they're learning. Right, in I'm the 1920s. Like,
1: yeah, I was like, yeah. dude, you and don't the even know. He was, and the reason he was so angry was because they were undoing the trivium. <clears throat> they're undoing what? They were undoing the trivium, which was that the first several years in school, you memorized facts. Oh. And then you went into a period of dialectic where you learned how to reason with facts. Gotcha. And only last did you graduate to the rhetoricum, like the rhetorical thing where you learn how to speak and persuade. Mm-hmm. And he said, there's two huge problems with this. One is learning Greek and Latin helps form the mind clearly and analytically. And now you don't want to teach Latin or Greek, which is crazy. And then he said, and then you don't want to have a grammar stage in a, in a rationality stage. He's like, those will fall by the wayside because now you think mem- like kids memorizing stuff is beneath them. He's like, that's crazy. Young kids are best at memorizing things and they don't know how to reason yet. And they don't have anything to reason with yet. Yeah. So
0: because they have nothing, memorized. they should be
1: yeah. memorizing yeah. stuff. Right. Yeah. And so and, and I think Ray Machen was correct. Yeah. I think that trying to teach kindergartners to like think deeper thoughts about their gender is the most developmentally inappropriate it's thing just, I could possibly imagine. Yeah. Not just because it's wrong, but because they don't get to think it's a a misunderstanding of human development right and so what what happens is you get people who just can't reason and then they don't want to and but then there's other dynamics like information overload
0: and it's not and and it's not that they just don't reason it's also that they like they a lot of these kids end up killing themselves because they live in such confusion because Mm -hmm. from five years old they're told all the they don't even know how to process and take things in and they, they become overwhelmed and then they kill themselves. I like there's, it, it happens all the time among young people now is they can't handle it. It would be, it, it would
1: be interesting to look at if we got suicide notes or there were journals of kids who killed themselves What's, and, and yeah. we looked at with, or the, or the with history the kind of philosophy that came with people like Foucault who were the progenitors of the LGBTQ movement. Yeah. If you Took the absolute destruction of human meaning that came from their philosophies, and you tried to graph how many suicides have been saved because we've become more open to queer living versus how many we've created by eviscerating meaning for an entire population and generation and i think i think it would probably be that we've created more suicides than we've saved absolutely
0: i mean the, the, mm-hmm. that's like you can Maybe see by that a factor, there's
1: a, a factor of somewhere between 10 and 100 probably yeah
0: the, you yeah. can see that there are people more people committing suicide now than there was 20 30 40 50 60 yeah. 100 years ago and yeah, it's not and, even close and, and, and it's and the, like
1: but the, the factor of that is not only philosophy right there are other factors I to think depression that's but the
0: increasing but I, I
1: think it, it's more than people want to admit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in some ways, but suicide all, is a
1: multifaceted. But in some ways, because all, like, if you committed suicide partly because your family came apart, and your parents got divorced, and like your life was terrible, you but had a bad philosophy. Got, but if your parents got divorced because they wouldn't grow in Christ, because they wouldn't learn to love each other, because they right. wouldn't become better people, then in some ways. That philosophy is leading to that suicide, right. and, and so that's impossible to study.
0: And your philosophy, if, if in in that same scenario, your philosophy is not a philosophy or a theology of of embracing suffering right. for the good of you know, and so right. the, the, it, they there are all philosophical in, in a way. I think I think maybe we could wrap it up. The one thing that I thought was okay. interesting. Okay. okay, I
1: can I, I want to make a couple more red letter points. Yeah, I know. Can I, do that?
0: I the one. Yeah, I want to say this. This is not totally about red letter, but I think it would be interesting. While well, we're talking, you were talking about how like Peter was writing about Paul, and they have all been together, and there's all this, this the apostolic stuff. And we know that there's a letter in between First and Second Corinthians, right? That we just don't know. There's, yeah, Second like Corinthians is like they call it Corinthians B. Yeah. Do you like? Do you think? And this is kind of a little bit off, so you don't have to answer this. But do you think that there are other letters that exist right now that we just haven't found? And what would have, like, I mean, what would like, happen I mean, if we found one? Yeah. Or like the gospel, what if we found like a, the gospel of Andrew or something like that, you yeah. know? And then we, and we saw it and we see, is this legit? There's, we like, like, what would that mm-hmm. even do? I like that. I just, cause there's clearly different letters that we're not seeing here. And I can't imagine only four apostles wrote or five apostles or whatever wrote letters. I'm sure that they all wrote stuff. Right. Yeah.
1: That's reasonably likely um, relative to literacy. Of course. I mean, there's no way to prove that all of the apostles were literate, but um, yeah, I mean, so there was clearly a letter to the Laodiceans.
0: That's true, right? Yeah. He
1: mentioned that Paul mentions in Colossians. He's like, go read, get their letter, read it in Colossae. Take this letter to Laodicea because it was they were in the same river valley. So, they so um, yeah, it, it may be that Paul wrote something in the letter to Laodiceans that God didn't want us to
0: know. That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. it might
1: have been wrong. I mean, I don't yeah. think Paul was. was
0: perfect and yeah his, it was right? perfect
1: um so uh, yeah i don't i don't know i, th- I th- for me if there was a letter from the apostle paul and see part of the issue is one of the reasons why things were included in the canon is they were apostolic in origin they were orthodox in their doctrine and they were accepted in all the churches and so if you found a new letter and for some reason you could somehow prove that the apostle wrote it, which i don't think would be possible Today? Yeah. I don't think you'd be able to prove that the Apostle Paul wrote it. Unless, like, somehow you could get DNA from the Apostle Paul, but I don't even know how you would prove that now.
0: But if, you, I mean, we don't have proof that the Apostle Paul wrote Corinthians.
1: No, but we, all of the tradition points to it. All of the, and all of the church so believed it and the churches accepted it. So, right? you're so, a
0: Catholic. I'm
1: just no, yeah, what I'm saying I'm, is I'm, now I'm, 2,000 years later. Right. So, if we were in the first century...
0: There would be more, and reasonable. there was a letter yeah.
1: from Paul, where like, "Hey Paul, did you write this?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, I wrote that to Laodiceans." Then I don't care what the other churches or like the church tradition would have been. Yeah, like I'd be you're like, oh, creating tradition. Paul, right? in, in, yeah, but point. now two thousand years later, to re to establish something from an earlier time would be, yeah. I think, impossible. Interesting, right? Um, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe I mean, maybe. I, mean, I would if I could know, then I would be glad to receive it
0: yeah what if it told us like crazy stuff that we had no idea like paul he says that he just talks to all us, the stuff like, that he
1: says he all the stuff that the apostle who wrote hebrews couldn't get to because yeah. it was too deep yeah and hebrews is like one of the deepest books in the new testament yeah
0: yeah it would be really interesting we would i wouldn't even know how to read it, it okay was so deep. yeah so go ahead one of the
1: things i want to I'll say so like if if you follow my train of logic then yes. the red believing the red letters of jesus and believing in the app and understanding the apostolic nature of the gospels is has to lead you to believing in the whole Testament, yeah, the four gospels, all of the epistles written by gospel writers or associated with them, which would be Peter and the writings of John, including yeah. revelation. Right. right. And so pretty quick here. And then Peter tells us for whom we've been believing him by reading the red letters in Mark, that right. same Peter tells us that the writings of the apostle Paul are scriptures. Right. Right. Which Jesus says, in his red letters, the scriptures can't be broken. Right, they are the word of God written. So the so yeah. yeah. So the only thing we have we don't have here is Hebrews and James, okay, and Jude, maybe. There's a couple of what we're sometimes called the general epistles. Now listen, what's up with James? why not James and Jude? Because just because I can't, I ha- I haven't I haven't shared in this podcast at least how you get to believing those are authoritative.
0: Aren't they apostles? Aren't James, isn't James an apostle? Or am I way off in that?
1: Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. So if you agree that the go- you've received the Gospels apostolically, why wouldn't you receive stuff from other apostles? And James is one, right? right? Yes. Yeah. Um, however, J- this the James who wrote James is probably James, the brother of Jesus or James, the just, rather than the apostle James of the 12.
0: So he's not an apostle.
1: It depends on how you define apostle. Not one of the 12. But neither is Peter. Or neither is Paul. Sorry.
0: Yeah, but he was he was added, wasn't he?
1: Well, he he had an eyewitness account of Jesus on the road to Damascus. But wasn't he but added? He's not, a, he's not a witness the... to all that Jesus said and did in Judea and Galilee.
0: But but I thought that they made him a, a t- one of the twelve or one of the whatever at no. that point. There are some they people. Huh. There are
1: a few New Testament scholars that have argued that when the apostles filled Judas's open position. With Matthias. They p- picked the wrong person. They did it. They acted too soon. They should have waited. Paul, God was going to appoint his own, the apostle Paul. That is almost certainly not correct. Because, Do you think that
0: it's right because the Old Testament says they're going to cast lots and that's what they did? And then they.
1: No, I think it's because Paul isn't an eyewitness of all that Jesus did and said in Judea.
0: And Matthias. Is, he
1: was. That's yeah. why they picked him. They said, pick. They said, let's nominate people on this criteria. They were with us and they saw everything Jesus did and said. They really can be an eyewitness with us because the whole purpose of why the apostles were going to be good was not just that they were intimately with Jesus and received all his teaching because right. they clearly misunderstood a lot of it. Yeah. The difference was that they had witnessed everything. They had seen the miracles. Right. And they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. Right. And so they could be witnesses. And right. so who could be a witness to that? Well, Paul can't be. He can be a witness to the fact that he met Jesus after his death. Right. Right. He can he can witness that,
0: which is according to like Luke. Was Luke there when this all happened? With was Paul he on and the road to Damascus? Of yeah. Oh, certainly not. So, how, so we just believe that Paul is telling the truth there.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm not mad about that. I think that we're doing that for a lot of things in the Bible.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, there's. I mean, it would be. I I would have loved if there were attached affidavits from the, the soldiers that were with him. Yeah, but. They probably. But what we do know is that this guy, who was the worst persecutor of the church that everybody was terrified of, totally all of a sudden was changed. completely different. and yeah, his greatest yeah, advocate. Yeah, yeah. And that has broader apostolic witness.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that he wrote letters refuting what he taught his entire life and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I
1: mean, the fact is, is that anybody who has a religious experience that other people don't have identically in the same at the same moment. I mean, this is why. I mean, every anything that happens. The only way you can believe in it is by testimony, right? Video is yeah. a kind of testimony. Yeah. Right. It's and a so, pretty good one. I mean, and, and humans audio have been using too. it legally since the foundation of yeah. any kind of legal courts, right? Because, not because, I mean, it'd be great if you could prove everything without testimony, but usually you can't. The evidence just doesn't exist. Sometimes you, like if you watch Bones or something, like there's like, there's like all this like scientific evidence you can find. Yeah. But a lot of that stuff is overblown. You can't really do most of that stuff and you can't really solve most cases that way.
0: Right. Right. What
1: you require is testimony. Yeah. And it goes all the way back to Moses saying you establish court cases on, on two or three witnesses. Yeah. You know?
0: No, that makes sense. Are you, is that all you wanted to say at the end?
1: Um, I, I think it's important to recognize that also that if you are, okay. So one of the things that I've I said is I think there's three reasons why people can be attracted to red letter Christianity. One is historical and scholarly. And by believing the sayings of Jesus, I'm believing the oldest, most reliable, most, most pure, teachings of Jesus. That's false, right? No, no historical new Testament scholar, believer or unbeliever. And most are unbelievers would affirm that the gospels are written later. They are, they come through, uh, they come through the editing of the apostles, at least if not more people, Mm -hmm. they are less raw and pure. So if that's your reason, it's just historically a false reason. Okay. So that's not, that can't be the reason I think the rest, the second is moral concern that the, the moral image of Jesus in the gospels is better somehow than that of the epistles Now you might be able to demonstrate that relative to gender, like how Jesus treats women. And is there any hierarchical relationship between men and women? I think you probably can't, but you might be able to, what you can't save yourself on is the LGBTQ question. Jesus is mm-hmm. on the same page in terms of sexual immorality as the other apostles. He just says sexual immorality and assumes that you know what it is. The only way honestly to interpret him is through a Jewish lens. Mm-hmm. That is the Torah, which he continually quotes as correct, right. which says that homosexual sex is sinful. Right. And it also affirms the innateness and fundamental nature of human gender in God's mm-hmm. creation in Genesis one through say right. five. Right. And mm-hmm. so the thing is, is like the things that you think you might get out of by just being a red letter Christian, you yeah. can't unless you intentionally misrepresent the teachings of Jesus, Mm -hmm. which is the very corruption. You say you're being a red letter Christian to escape. Right. And then the last is, is that maybe people think that because maybe they'll escape persecution that they won't be so rejected. They can believe in Jesus. They can have some meaning in their life, but they either don't have to believe in the super miraculous kind of stuff or, um, which feels kind of weird in a secularized culture, or they don't have to be out of step with gender or sex or something like that. Right. And the fact is, is that if you actually read the red letters of Jesus and you actually understand them. Jesus doesn't, doesn't offer any of that. And basically says, no, if you follow me, everyone's going to hate you. I mean, that's what he says. You'll give up everything. You'll die every day. People will say you're possessed by the devil, that you're killing people and that you're awful, that you should be killed and that you are the, you are the scum of the earth. That's what Jesus says. Mm -hmm. People will think of you. And so like, if you think that by being a red letter Christian,
0: you can get away, you can escape
1: that. that. No, that's you literally, literally aren't that listening is. at all yeah. to the red letters. Right. 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 And so it's self-refuting. And so like Jesus is the one who most straightforwardly says, look, if you believe in me, really, you're going to believe in everything that I teach. Right. Okay. And right. Because it says Jesus in the, in the great commission, when he's risen from the dead in the red letters, he says, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the father, that's son, the Holy right. spirit. And Teaching them to obey, obey everything I've, I've commanded. commanded you. Yeah. Right. Which includes everything he said about sexual immorality, everything he said about divorce, right. everything he said about everything, which is very hard teachings. Right. And he says, okay, now, like, and everybody's going to hate you. And so, well, like,
0: and included in everything that he, obeying everything that he taught, like you said earlier, he taught that the scriptures, we're not broken. That, like, so what falls right. within everything that he taught would then be the rest of the New In, Testament. Which would include believing
1: the rest of the Bible, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And so you are rejecting Jesus and his red letters if you don't believe the rest of the Bible, yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, I also think some people might be like, yeah, but like, yeah, it makes sense that when Jesus says everybody will hate you, it's the religious people who are going to hate you. And the answer is, it's not, yes, religious people are going to hate you if some you follow Jesus, some of yeah. them. But so are the secular people. Jesus yeah. was crucified by the Romans. Right. At the hands or at the instigation of the Jews, that is both the religious people and the political irreligious people hated his guts Yeah, and everybody agreed that he needed to be killed. If you really follow Jesus, there will be religious people who hate you, Yeah, especially people with establishment power. There will be irreligious political people who will hate you, especially with establishment power power, Yeah, and so on. So if you feel like, well, like I'm a progressive Christian because like, I'm just being like honest with Jesus and just being open and like believing his ethic. No, you aren't. No. You're pick, yeah. you're still picking and choosing from among the red letters, right. which is hypocritical. Yeah, and it's the very corruption you said you were trying to escape when you decided to be a red letter Christian.
0: Right, and I and I think too, just a clarification for the religious, like it's a particular type of religious person. It's not all religious people. We're, we're religious people, right? It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people who are doing or who are wrong in their theology or that. Right. And Jesus gives you,
1: yeah, Jesus gives you the criteria for that, right? Like they're legalists. They pretend to be righteous, but they're not. Yeah. They, they use the word of God hypocritically. Yeah. They make it mean stuff good that they they like, but Mm -hmm. then they, they don't listen to things. They don't care about the poor and the widow and the disenfranchised. They've come up with ways to really just serve themselves. Right. And so on. So Jesus will tell us and the apostles tell us what the wrong kind of religion is. Yeah. Yeah. And what the right kind is. Because the apostles dealing with religious abuse is not irreligion, but it's it is revealed religion and it's restored religion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Reformed. Uh, Yeah. Hence the reformers like reformed and always reforming.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, well, we should wrap this up. I was just gonna say if you have a hard time understanding if if you're like I am, er, growing up in the school system and in this generation with all the media and all of these things, don't make sense because it's you can't think clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, I t- I read a book. It was actually an accident. I was at the bookstore and I was looking for a particular Ben Shapiro book, but it wasn't there, so I just grabbed a different one of his. And it was called "The Right Side of History: How Mor How Reason and Moral Purpose Made the West Great," mm-hmm. and it was the beginning of my like trying to figure out why I my head was so jacked up and I couldn't think clearly about anything and that book really really it helped me understand he kind he starts in in Jer- Jerusalem with with Christ and then he kind of works his way all the way up to America and, and how how we began how we started to how we use reason and moral purpose to 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 become a great society, and so that's just a good that's a good book. I I just always reference that to young people. So I'm like that that was one that helped me start to be able to think through things more clearly and properly.
1: Yeah, if and if I can if I can add to that, um, so there's an author at um, Baylor University named Rodney Stark, mm-hmm. and so, so some people will hear the word the name Ben Shapiro. And, and they'll flip, they'll out. Just they'll just flip say, out. Yeah. Right. And so, and I think that's really foolish because I mean, I, I read people that are like hyper conservative, like yeah. as people would identify them yeah. and progressive. Cause I think that you need to, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't listen to what other people say about people because there's too gotta, much, yeah. there's too much politics, there's too much and emotion and too much emotion. Too, right. They, and, and what I, what I normally find is, is that the criticisms that people make of other people who are quote extremists are you usually not based on their actual writings or anything. So Stark has written a couple books, one um, called the victory of reason, how Christianity led to freedom, capitalism and Western success. That's that covers a lot of that ground Shapiro does, but it talks about how Christianity in particular did that in a way that Shapiro is not interested in, in some ways because he's Jewish,
0: right? This is so funny when I look it up. The next book right next to it is The Right Side of History. They like yeah. come up yeah, yeah, right Yeah, next yeah to they're so. connected.
1: But Stark was doing this before Shapiro. He's Shapiro. older. And in some ways, I don't want to say he's a better scholar. He's just, you know, they're, they're just doing slightly different things. Also, The Rise of Christianity by Stark is great. And if you've been hit over the head with um, people talking about the Crusades, Stark's book called God's Battalions mm-hmm. is really good. He talks about the whole. Um, the whole season, that whole era. And he goes back to the sixth century and he talks about the Muslim conquests up mm-hmm. until the ages of the crusades. So that you have a real context for it. And the way he talks about it just is very, very enlightening about that whole nature. And you'll have a much better historical understanding of that sort of time period. But I've, I've found Stark's um, mm-hmm. I have found Stark's works to be really, really, really helpful.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at it on, on Amazon.
1: He also has some like sociological works where he talks about like how people think and feel and, stuff like that in America. But, um, but he's, I, I found his writing and it also, I have never found his writings to be truly refutable. Like his facts are facts. Yeah. When he says scholars think something, the preponderance of scholars in that field do think that thing.
0: How famous is this guy?
1: Um, He's famous among Christian intellectuals. Should we have him on
0: the pod? Would we be able to get him on the we, pod?
1: Maybe. Uh, maybe we maybe we have pod. to get a little more famous first. Yeah, yeah. That might be. So so this is a good opportunity to say if you like this podcast, <laughs> yeah, so make sure you like, tell subscribe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> tell everybody to to share. Okay, that's it though, right? We're done. Yeah. Okay. All right. If you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends. Give us a five star rating. Especially if they're red letter Christians Especially or have if they're a lot of red letter Christian friends. That's right. And go to YouTube, Optive Network on YouTube. We're growing fast. We are. We got good, good stuff on there. So go there, subscribe, and we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye.